Here is a motion picture film. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Film Swap. My name is David Seeley, and uh, this young man across from me virtually is uh, the ecstatic gaucho himself, who's about to throw down not not a knife, not a dagger, but a uh, but a film at my feet. Uh, and uh, his name is Jonathan Pritchard Barrett. Jono, how me. are you doing? Hi. I'm doing very well, thank you, David. <laughs> Looking forward to discussing two utter classics tonight. Yes, we've uh, we've picked a couple of uh, real all-time all-time classic films really to have, talk about yeah. tonight. Um, the the idea was originally, wasn't it, that we uh, decided to just t- today to do something slightly less formal, and yep. uh, and actually uh, rather than a theme, we just said, well, let's just talk about personal favorites. We and we'll we'll just. You know, Jonathan would put forward an all-time favorite film of his, and I would do likewise. But then, yep. once, of course, as as it happens, we we put the two films forward, and then a sort of a theme of sorts emerged, didn't it? It did. Um, it did emerge, and these two films have very distinct sort of thematic uh, similarities. Yeah, there's a current that runs through each of them. Um, and, uh, of course they are stylistically and, and everything very, very different. Uh, yep. uh, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things to, uh, to pick out of these films. So, Definitely. uh, Jonathan, do you want to just very briefly introduce uh, the film that you put forward tonight? But from the film that I put forward, uh, is called Performance. It was released in 1970, although it was originally scheduled to come out in 1968, and it stars um, Mick Jagger and James Fox, one of the famous Fox family. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, and my film tonight, I picked uh, one of the all-time seminal classics of Japanese cinema, uh, and it is called uh, Yugetsu. And uh, it is a film that came out in 1954. Uh, and it was directed by the great Kenji Mizuguchi and, uh, uh, you know, one of the masters of cinema, uh, not just Japanese cinema, but just cinema in general. And uh, this is uh, one of his absolute, oh, it's one of his later works, uh, sort of um, one of his last films uh, and, and also widely regarded as uh, one of the greatest films ever made. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, it sounds very grand when you say things like that. The greatest film ever made. But uh, but in <laughs> actual fact, in this case, I think uh, you could definitely make a pretty good argument for that. And uh, perhaps we'll do that tonight. So listeners, uh, from your point of view, we're just going to take a few seconds break. Uh, and then we're going to come back and talk about our first film, which is uh, You Get To. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Film Swap podcast. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, and Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast catchers. 
If you like this podcast, please consider giving the show a rating or leaving a review. This helps other listeners find the show. And we're back. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Jonathan. Hi. Yeah. Have you got anything uh, to say for yourself? Anything new and exciting you can share with the listeners? New and exciting? Well, I have seen both these films, which I have seen them both before, but I haven't seen them for quite a long time. Mm. So that was uh, a nice experience. It's always good just sort of revisiting a film, you know, you haven't seen for a while and sort of seeing it with sort of new eyes and see, not you're not just seeing the film, but you're seeing what you saw in the original, in the first or last time you saw it mm. as well, which is an interesting sort of thing. And uh, also been watching this uh, BBC drama, The Sixth Commandment, all about this sort of... Uh, Basically, serial killer guy, which is what really, a TV yeah. show about serial killers. Who well, thought? It was, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> it, I mean, he, he, he wasn't really. He, he was only at the beginning of his career when he got stopped. But uh, yeah, so it's good. It's a good drama. Or was it like based on a real thing? It's based on a real, real story. Oh, yeah, right. this, okay. this guy. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it's a sort of four-parter. Oh, okay, uh, oh, great. You, would you say that that's worth checking out? Would you? Is that something I would say so? Yes, it's got Timothy Spall in it, the great Timothy oh, Spall. Yeah, yeah, I like Timothy Spall. And the, the main, um, the, the the sort of the murderer is this um, uh, Irish actor who's sort of up and coming talent as well. Oh, his name unfortunately eludes me at the moment, but uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Oh, okay, well. Um... I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. That sounds, sounds interesting, <laughs> and I'm sure maybe some of our listeners will as well. Yep. Brilliant. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about uh, a 1953 Japanese film called yes. uh, Yugetsu, uh, or Yugetsu Monogatari. And I apologize yep. uh, profusely to any Japanese uh, listeners out there who... Uh, who might be shocked and appalled at my pronunciation, but uh, please, Cringing. please, yes, exactly. Going please, for. yes, uh, <laughs> please, uh, please forgive me and uh, bear with me. I'll do my very best uh, to uh, to uh, talk about this great film. So, yes, uh, I, sorry, I said at the beginning it was 1954, but uh, apparently it was 1953, so I was off a little bit uh, there. Yeah. My apologies. Uh, but uh, Yugetsu was one of the uh, last films from Kenji Mizuguchi, who was yes. one of the great uh, grand masters of Japanese film, actually. Uh, when yep. he made this, he was already considered one of the uh, great grand masters who'd uh, been making films for decades and uh, had quite a reputation. Uh, many of his films, there's common themes that run through his films. A lot of his films uh, tend to be about uh, downtrodden and, and uh, families and things who are, who are subject to, you know, poverty and uh, struggles and uh, and a lot of emphasis on uh, women and women's place in society and the, the, the issues that uh, women face in, in sort of a patriarchal society. Uh, he does a lot of sort of historical uh, historical dramas and uh, things, uh, which uh, includes this one. Uh, right. The film is set uh, during the Azuchi Mo Momoyama period, uh, yep. which was a time when there was uh, quite a bit of civil war in Japan. There was yes. a lot of sort of feuding 
different uh, sort of warlords and, and different uh, fiefdoms, if you will, that were fighting and, and uh, warring back and forth. <clears throat> yeah. And this film very much uh, uh, reflects on how these uh, things impact uh, just uh, general farmers and uh, just general poor people who are living in yeah. those times and having to contend with these constant back and forth of different uh, marauding armies ca coming through their their villages and their, their the areas where they live uh, and fighting uh, back and forth. Mm. Uh, and the story um, uh, centers on uh, two gentlemen who who uh, have aspirations, don't they, Jonathan? To they do. to um, better the, their situation, they have kind of dreams of glory. One of yes. them. One of them is Genjuro. Gen, yeah, Genjuro is main the guy. potter, isn't he? He's kind of the main yep. protagonist of the piece, yep. and uh, and then he has a uh, a neighbor um, who who dreams of being a samurai, but of course he has yes. no formal training and he has no wealth to buy you know the equipment uh, that are prerequisites for being a samurai. Uh, he and his friend decide to go into uh, the, the local town to sell some pottery to, yep. to raise money. And uh, he, he uh, quite feverishly is making pots and he's uh, and his wife uh, and the, the other villagers uh, keep saying to him, you know, maybe, you know, don't worry so much about making all this money. Just, uh, you know, let's just enjoy, have a good life and maybe prepare ourselves a little bit for these warring factions mm. that keep kind of coming through the area and sort of ransacking the villages and things. But he, the, these men are preoccupied with their dreams of, of kind of glory and, yes. uh, uh, you know, wealth and uh, status. So yeah. uh, off they go. And then the film really becomes a tragic story about what happens uh, to these two men and the, their families as a consequence of their decision-making. Yeah. And the, the story is uh, effectively kind of a ghost story and it serves as a parable for, for you know, uh, men whose uh, ambition and, and seeking wealth and fame and uh, all these things, how, how it impacts the, uh, their lives and the, the people in their lives. Gen Genjiro uh, meets a woman who sort of seduces and entices him away. And she's uh, on the surface, she's a woman of wealth and privilege. She has a, a large property and um, yeah. she's a lady and she comes to buy some of his pottery and, and things and then sort of lures him to her home where she kind of seduces him and uh, sort of insists on his uh, on him becoming her her mate. So yes. uh, and this uh, then leads to tragedy for his wife and child who he's left behind. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is the, the the basic story. So, but it's actually two stories because there's I think basically it comes from. A, a novel, doesn't it? Um, mm. A 17th century novel called Ugetsu Monogatari, and that's the story of the you know this lady Wakasa, mm. this one the woman who lives in the manor house and sort of lures him up there. <clears throat> but then there's the the other story, which is the subplot, which is um, his his mate uh, who's desperate to become a samurai, and that's based on a Guy de Maupassant story called. How he got the Legion of Honor, hmm. and um, 
So, what? Yeah. So, what happens to him? But, yeah, so they do. They a, they get separated through the course of the story, don't they? Exactly. And the, the story yeah. splits off. And and you're quite right that the two stories they were based on. I think there's actually even a third story that formed part part of the the yeah. um, inspiration for uh, for the stories that are told in the film. Film is really uh, trying to show the sort of the how how these ambitions and these things that these men. Uh, chase after uh, the 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 spirit the woman the the woman is like I said it's essentially a ghost story and she's yeah. essentially a spirit who who is there to entice him away with all these promises of of, uh, of wealth and privilege and and all these things uh, but the, it's ephemeral, isn't it? And it's not uh, it's not anything that he can grasp. And through the course of the story, we we come to realize, as he does, that yeah. uh, that he's chasing, you know, the wind or a spirit, literally in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Um, and and again, there's there's tragic results for the family. That is what's uh, really uh, why this film is such a such a, a great masterpiece and why it ha- has great resonance. I think even um, I think it has quite a lot of universal themes about yeah. uh, about men and how they they kind of chase their tails for, for yeah. this thing and and perhaps lose sight of the the things of value that are right in front of them. And I think it's something that anyone uh, can relate to. Yeah, it reminded me of um, Chaucer. Um, it's a, it's almost like a sort of um, fable, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I was uh, at school, I did the learnt the uh, uh, Pardoner's Tale in my English, and this is a story of these three men who are drinking, and I think I think this is the right name. And then they basically they decide because it's the time of the sort of the plague. And they decide death has been killing too many of their friends. Let's go and kill death. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. off they go, and they meet this uh, old man on, on a sort of foot, footpath. And he t- and they ask him, "Where do we find death?" And he says, "Oh, go over there." And um, they find he, they go over there and look under the tree. Though he's told them they're going to find death, and there they they sort of dig a hole, basically find some gold. Mm. And then, um, so one of them goes off to go and get some sort of a bag to take it away in or something. And when he's there, he thinks, I know, I'll kill the others, so I'll get some poison. And when he's away, the other two think, I will kill him. And so they get their knives out. So he gets there, uh, they kill him, they drink the wine that he's brought, and they both die. And so the sort of, the, the gold has led to their demise. Right. And it's a sort of similar fable of their sort of greed, essentially. Yes, and, uh, and they found off. death. <laughs> yeah, they have found death exactly, yeah. and uh, but, and it sort of slightly reminded me of this this sort of the the moral uh, of of this um, similar sort of thing, greed leading him into trouble. And what do you think of the? Because uh, I mean, the film is quite beautifully filmed, and I mean, I think uh, again, without wanting to spoil the the ending for anyone, the ending has an incredible poignant. Yeah. Sort of a moment when you when when the real tragedy uh, of of the man's fate is revealed at the end, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very yeah. deeply affecting moment, and it's it done is, with yeah. a simple sort of 
sort of uh, 360 degree pan around the, the, the house. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, quite, quite a d- deeply moving moment. Yes. And it's got some yeah very beautiful scenes. There's one uh, where they're traveling across a lake, I mean, a very shallow lake, but a lake um, in, in the mist. Yeah. And uh, somebody's singing, and it's a very sort of beautiful, very spooky, sort of supernatural scene. I really, really, uh, I really enjoyed that bit. Mm. Um, some great sort of dialogue. The finest silk may change and fade away. Yes. That down. I that Is was, that in uh, the song that she sings when he first goes to the house? Yeah, I think it might yeah. be. Yeah, but then in the because um, the sound design is quite clever as well. Because even when you have this really beautiful song and she's singing, but then in the background these there are these really kind of creepy noises that are just sort of below the surface and sort of yes. just creeping in slowly, and then uh, she reveals that it's the spirit of her father who's there to comment on the uh, <laughs> on the. Uh, yeah, the well, because the music is definitely spooky. Because I, whilst I was watching it, I left the door open, and um, Charlie, uh, who's nine, came down and said, "What's that? Mu- it's what's that music? It's very it's scaring me." <laughs> so he was trying to get to sleep, oh, and he could hear this sort of ethereal, um, sort of ghostly Japanese music, and yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I mean. It wasn't surprising that it was scaring him because it was sort of meant to be scary. Mm. Yeah, it was, uh, that's, that is a good part of the film as well, the music. Uh, definitely quite spooky. Masayuki uh, Mori is kind Masa, of the main, Masa, the main man. Yeah. Yes. And he's sort of, um, I mean, he's, he's a you know, really terrific actor, isn't he? Mm. Re- really expressive. And um, he's sort of, yeah, it's not sure. That That's the nice thing at the beginning. So is he um, trying to take advantage of all this, you know, make his sort of fortune? Mm. I mean, he's basically sort of cashing in on the war, essentially. But Yeah, there is a little an element of war profiteering because I guess there's a lot it. of sort of refugees and a lot of soldiers and people who are uh, amassing in this town. Uh, so there's a lot of customers and a lot of people who need new things because maybe their their house has been ransacked and destroyed uh, by by marauding sort of armies of soldiers and things. Yeah. Uh, so they need to replace their household, uh, you know, uh, pots yeah. and dishes and things like that. So there is an element of yeah opportunism that uh, comes with his. Uh, with his uh, finance, you know, with his business pursuits. Yeah, but I, first of all, it's not, you don't, well, you think maybe he's being foolish and greedy, but maybe he's being sort of sensible and taking advantage of a situation whilst he can, and, you know, he's he's going to sort of take himself from utter penury into sort of something uh, slightly more comfortable, and think, well, yeah. perhaps he's being sensible. Yeah, I mean, you can you you can make that argument, and I think the thing is, um, I mean, these are, I mean, it's established that they're they're not wealthy people; they're poor they farmers, and that they yep. have to work the quite hard in sort of a sustenance kind of uh, yep. lifestyle. So for them, 
yes, to take an opportunity. I mean, most people would if they, you know, if anyone does when they see an yep. opportunity to yep. uh, get ahead and to make uh, money, they take it. And yep. I guess it's a bit, it's a bit different from something like, uh, you know, there's a scene where the, uh, the, his neighbor who aspires to be a samurai, he gets a yes. little bit of silver in his pocket from helping to sell the pottery and he goes straight to buy, you know, uh, weapons and, and all the, uh, yeah. you know, Mama. yeah, all the, the war paraphernalia. And I suppose there's a bit different between, you know, uh, war profiteering and, and, uh, you know, in, in the sense of feeding the violence, uh, and there's a difference between, yeah, just someone who's, who's, uh, sees an opportunity to, to better their situation. I think yep. there is probably a bit of a difference, but I think, yep. um, I guess the, the film makes the point that, uh, in, in war, it, it, it unsettles people and it does create these, um, these situations. Yep. And we have like, a. Uh, you know, there are scenes when his wife keeps saying, you know, I'm just happy, you know, uh, for yes. us to be here and to work together and raise our son and just be happy here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't need all this wealth and chasing after this stuff. I would rather you, you know, spend time with your family because there's a certain yeah. point where he becomes quite obsessive about making loads and loads of pottery and making, you know, he's just working day and night and making piles and piles of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it shows that he's then starts kind of neglecting his son, uh, and, and sort of being a bit uh, terse and ornery with his wife and sort of yeah. saying, you know, you know, come on, he's get a, on with it. And, Cause I need he's to a workaholic. Yes. He becomes a bit of a workaholic. And I think that isn't something because loads of people can can say that that happens in their, you know, um, they want to do uh, well for their families. They want to yep. uh, provide a good, uh, comfortable living and have nice things. So people yep. work really hard at their jobs and they try and get ahead and they try and get promotions yep. and they they kind of focus on all this. But the the, the downside to that, of course, is that <clears throat> that takes you know, more and more of your time that you spend concentrating on that. And you're actually, yeah. um, you know, the focus has shifted away from your family. So yes. I think that's a little bit of what the point of the film is, is making as well. Yeah. About and I guess your priorities is straight, I suppose. Yeah. And I think what Lady Wakasa is, is sort of, it's the embodiment of his desires in a way. She's mm. the sort of, she's like, his sort of, misplaced energies in sort of uh, not quite physical form but vis visual form anyway mm. isn't she because she's she, yeah. yeah attractive and, but deadly yes and she's kind of kind of sucking the life force out of him is isn't he because uh, isn't she sorry yeah. because through the course of the film she you know, you can see he becomes more haggard and, and <laughs> pale and yeah. and uh, sort of because he's, you know, she's kind of draining that from him and he's get, getting older and, and he, yeah. you know, and I guess that that's what she symbolizes is the fact that she's this unobtainable thing, really, that he just feels driven, compelled to, to kind of chase and try and make happy but all it's doing is draining him and it's taking him away from his family and the yeah. things that really matter to him uh, yeah 
and then in the end kind of his wife becomes a spirit as well but she's becomes more of a spirit that embodies you know regret and the things that you lose and the, you know the decisions that you've made and how they yes. you know the the things that you lost each time you make a decision in life because you maybe gain something but you lose something as well Yes. And I think that's what, why the film's so poignant and it's quite a personal favorite of mine because I think it really resonates with me about, yep. about that, about, you know, um, um, you know, the looking back and kind of thinking about the, well, what might have been if I hadn't have right. done that and I had yep. taken that path, you know, what did I lose when I went this way instead of going that way? Yeah. Uh, you know, th those are all kind of universal themes that I think anyone, uh, you know, this film would resonate with anyone, I think. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's despite, I guess that's it. Despite being a sort of fable, it is something that sort of, yeah, still can resonate with us uh, all yeah. in modern age. And I think and, that's in therein lies its greatness because it is perfectly sort of um, does that. It tells that story very effectively and beautifully. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's kind of a, like really a perfect film from you know beginning to end. How it how it takes you in this hmm. in this circle and it does it in a really affecting way. And it's it's got uh, there's not a lot of humor in it. I must admit, it's not the guy. Yeah. And then Mizuguchi's a lot of his films. There's not a lot of right. sort of uh, there. There's a bit of joyful moments uh, with his family and things at the beginning. Yeah. But but essentially. The, the, this is a, a, a fable and a cautionary tale and sort of a, um, uh, so uh, I guess that is one thing I would say is that it's, uh, it's not like, um, there's not a lot of laughs here. No. <laughs> it's more no. of a sort of a, a drama and it's quite harrowing at times and quite moving and poignant and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about it was, yeah, as you say, that circular, circular story. So it sort of finishes off just where it started off yeah. in the sort of same room and with the same people yeah, yeah. to an extent. And um, yeah, he's sort of what he's learned over the course of the mm -hmm. going out and coming back again. Um, yeah, both, both the story. chaps, uh, both the, the, the samurai and, and the main uh, guy as well they've both gone on this this uh journey and ended up back where they started perhaps a little bit wiser uh, yeah and uh you know with some regrets and and uh, you know things um that uh they can't kind of take back but uh, they have to kind of move on move forward so yes but what, what, one of the, I guess one of the other things that Lady uh, Wakasa is almost like the the lotus eater, the late uh, the lotus eaters in um, you know Odysseus. Mm. So they're sort of all the sirens rather sort of singing, and once you hear their beautiful song, you sort of fall into a trance and you mm. just want to, well, sort of um, cast yourself on the rocks. Or, um, and she, yeah, so she she's a sort of similar thing, hypno hypnotic. Yeah, and it, it's an amazing performance too. I mean, she's a really beautiful woman, but yeah. also very eerie. And uh, you, you almost right from the get go when you first see her, you kind of think, "Oh, there's something not quite right here." Mm. <laughs> Even though she's very lovely, she's be beautiful and and stuff. But you, but you immediately kind of go, 
something's not quite yeah. right here. Yes, yeah. something <laughs> sort of about the makeup. It looked there's sort of bits of sort of unusual bits of on her makeup. That, oh, I mean, it could have just been that sort of Japanese uh, sort of style from that period. But, yeah, I don't know if that's kind sure. of like a kabuki kind of thing, or that that kind of you know like the, the, the eyebrows on her the... forehead. Like yeah, I mean, I, I I must admit I'm not as, sure. as much of a sort of an expert on kind of Japanese uh, culture as I'd like to be. I mean, I'm I'm quite a sort of a you know sort of an amateur, very amateur Japan file. So I I love Japanese films and Japanese yeah. stuff of all kinds, but I'm not. I don't profess to be an expert on any of it. But I think okay. a lot of that traditional, the, the, a lot of the makeup and the, the sort of some of the story telling techniques are a bit more sort of traditional based, uh, you know, um, you see that kind of running through a lot of Japanese films of the period as well, the historical yeah. ones, especially. I guess we could introduce the theme that this film shares with our second film, that it, they're both sort of a house for figures prominently in both films. Yeah. And sort of dreams also, yes. sort of intoxicating power of dreams embodied in a house feature yeah. in both films. I think that will take us from one film into the other. Do you think that's great? I think so. And I think also as uh, when we talk about performance as well, we, we can talk about the fact that both uh, deal with men who um, kind of pursue uh, new new identities or try and, and sort of strive uh, beyond their their own kind of, um, you, you know, their own personalities and try to strive towards something else. And it ends tra tragically, badly. Tragically. Well put. <laughs> yes. Very delicately put. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, there are a true. lot of themes about the uh, you know uh, lo losing oneself in someone else's uh, sort of uh, dreams and things like that. I think is yeah. kind of something that runs through the two of them. I yeah. think it's interesting. Okay. I don't know, Jonathan, now because we've been doing this for quite a few months now, and yeah. I think is it possible that we could take any two films and put them together and I've... find some sort of connective <laughs> tissue? Uh, thematically between them this is the right. the question that i i wonder i ponder I'd, i had the thought had occurred to me as well because when we decided to do this it's just random personal favorites and then they were like so sort of such good fits i just thought <laughs> is yeah. is this i mean yeah I, well to be fair to there was a little bit of sort of because you, I mean, in terms of personal affairs, like I'm not really into like sort of saying, you know, this is the best of all time and making yeah. lists and ranking things and all that. Because yeah. I know a lot of people like to rank things and go, oh, this is number one and this is number yeah. eight and all this. I'm not really into that. I think, you know, a great film is a great film. And, I, yeah. you know, um, you know, I don't really uh, feel compelled to rank them. But when... When you I I you kind of proposed your film first, yeah, and then I I did sort of then think of a favorite film of mine that I yeah. thought might fit with yeah. that a little bit. So there was a little bit of calculation to it to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but I do still wonder if it would be possible to randomly just pick two films and then find. 
something that that um, yeah you know and I think we we should hold that thought uh, going yeah, forward in try the and future. break film swap <laughs> yes. by proposing completely apparently completely different films only for them to be <laughs> have surprising similarities once more. Well, yeah, well, it has happened. I mean, I remember when we did uh, sort of High Noon and um, uh, Twelve Angry Men, we, we found some thematic yeah. uh, similarities and things, and I think there's yep. been a few other times. I think oh, definitely. there might be a case to be made for that, which is all yeah. more sort of validates the film swap format, doesn't it, it does. really? Very much, very much. <laughs> Great format. Uh, but anyway, so unless there was anything else you wanted to say about, uh, specifically about Yugetsu. Um, no, I, I think I've said most of it. Yeah, it deserves its reputation as a classic of world and Japanese cinema. Absolutely. And so we, we would definitely want to encourage you uh, folks out there, if you've never seen it before, to go seek it out. Which yeah. brings us to the... Uh, the uh, question of how did you watch it, Jonathan? I did. I watched it on the Masters of Cinema Late Mitsugoshi um, box set. So it has four, four di well, four um, discs, I think, and yeah. each one has two films on it. Yes, so, that's a beautiful box, isn't it? Beautiful art, it is. and, and uh, I yeah. do have it as well. I didn't use it to watch it this time because that that actual is. is yeah, you can see people who are watching the video version, you can see I'm surrounded by boxes and piles <laughs> of things. And that set is actually at the bottom of a pile somewhere and I didn't want to get it out. But right. as it as it turns out, I picked up um, the, uh, the Criterion Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Which um, the reason I picked this up, because obviously I already had the Masters of Cinema, so I already had a copy but yep. this actually comes with a, a documentary uh, okay. about uh, Mizuguchi. It's called The Life of a Film Director. Uh, and it's a 1975 documentary uh, by uh, Kanito Shindo, Shindo okay. sorry, uh, who, uh, you know, directed The Naked Island and um, um, Onibaba, uh, okay. films like that. Uh, and he made a, this documentary. So that that's why I picked it up, and also this yep. was a newer sort of uh, 4K restoration that was done by uh, okay. uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, Film ah. Foundation. So I ended up um, picking that up. The uh, master cinema that, one is a bit cracky, isn't it? Uh, it's an older master. I mean, it's still very yeah. good quality and stuff, but it yeah. isn't. It hasn't been like sort of restored. And like nowadays, they kind of scrub all the scratches and the pops out yeah. and all that kind of stuff so this the criterion one had, has a very good stable very okay, good okay. quality image and it's very beautiful but the the masters of cinema disc is is very good it's and good i've got some great and the nice thing about the masters of cinema set is that as you said it came uh they were kind of double features weren't they there was like yeah. four of them and they had two films each yeah. Uh, on in the, and then they they put them together in a really beautiful set, but yeah. uh, the, um, obviously we're recording this in uh, the summer of 2023. So obviously, yeah. if someone in the future listens to this, the the situation may have changed uh, somewhat. Uh, but um, right now, the film is also available 
on that freebie thing that we've we've talked about a few times oh, here yeah. on the show on amazon prime they have a little sort of separate channel called freebie and yeah. uh you get to is available on there at the minute um yeah. uh it's july 2023 so at the moment it's on there i wouldn't personally recommend that that be your first choice to watch it because in freebie they uh they interrupt it with adverts and yeah. so i wouldn't necessarily recommend but obviously if that's a way for you to watch it and you don't have another uh, available option that's there Um, the masters of cinema blu-rays are out of print now Uh, so i don't think people could get that set anymore anyway i think it's they're they're sort of kind of come and gone so i suspect if you wanted a physical copy of it the the criterion edition is probably the way to go really but it is yeah. a beautiful set and it actually comes with a little book as well that has it actually uh, has the three stories that the film is uh, based on oh really uh, that they oh, really? printed in a nice little book and then it's got obviously Good. writings and things about the film and wow um, and like i said it comes with that extra documentary about mizuguchi and yeah. Um, it's got some other contextual sort of supplements and things as well. So it's a really nice addition and definitely worth picking up. And this really? is definitely a film that you want to have on your shelf and have it at home uh, so. uh, because uh, it's really great stuff. Definitely. So <laughs> on that note, I think, uh, folks, we're going to take a little break, a little water break. Uh, and yep. uh, and, uh, and uh, listeners... We're going to go away, but it's only going to be for a few seconds. So you just stay right where you are. And uh, we will literally be right back in just a minute to talk about our second film, Nicholas Rogue's performance. You can follow the Film Swap on social media. We're on Twitter and TikTok at FilmSwap UK, on Instagram at FilmSwap Media, and on YouTube at FilmSwap underscore podcast, and at Facebook at FilmSwap The Podcast. And we're back. Back. We're back. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, uh, we've, had some, we've had some beverage, and yep. uh, we've uh, talked some uh, FilmSwap business. Haven't <laughs> we, Jonathan? Yep. We've had, yeah. we've had a, a little, some conversation behind the scenes uh, yes. d- discussions. Uh, and now we're back uh, for you and we're going to talk about one of uh, the, the great classics of British cinema, a yeah. film that, uh, uh, well, I don't know, Jonathan, what would you say? Um, the way I describe it. I have a, a good description of it. Oh, okay. I, I think. Well, actually, it, it was your you're the one who, who put this one forward. So, yeah. Let's. I'm going to hand it over to you to tell us a little bit about performance. Well, performance. I always describe it when in one sort of sentence when people ask me about performance, I could describe it as the British Easy Rider. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Because it's basically a. Um, it's the sort of the the seminal hippie film. <laughs> from the 1960s, um, except I guess the big difference is being a European film, they didn't go out on the road, they just stay, it stays in one house, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but uh, 
yeah, I guess that's that, that's my description of it. And it's got James Fox, who's a sort of gangster, yes. Chaz, and essentially he falls foul of his sort of gangster bosses mm. who want to get rid of him, and so he takes refuge in a house in Notting Hill uh, that's um, sort of lived in by this chap called Turner, who's like mm. a reclusive rock star. Um, played by Mick Jagger, who's living with two women. Anita Pallenberg is one of them. And um, it was, one, it was this Mick's, Mick Jagger's first foray into acting? Was. Is that yeah. fair? Is that right? Is that I think correct it was. to say? I yeah. think it is. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this, well, his his two sort of girlfriends are Ferber, played by Anita Pallenberg, and Lucy, played by Michelle Breton, who's a French woman. Yes. And uh, yeah, so James Fox turns up there, and he, he's from a completely different world. Mm. And they're both sort of outsiders in a way. They sort of, you know, mm. but he comes from a completely different world, and there's a sort of massive culture clash, essentially. Yes, and, indeed. Yeah, and the whole film is very sixties, very very sixties. <laughs> it's got lots of experimental sort of camera work and whatnot in it yes editing and editing imagery and it's got some quite which were quite controversial at the time they they seem pretty tame really by today's standards but there's some saucy bits and there's some saucy bits as well uh, yes and uh, some you know quite quite shocking uh, violence as violent, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and violence. Yeah, J- James Fox is quite the. He's like a proper nutter, isn't he? In this, he's like he's a proper nutter. He's yeah. like he's like this uh, gangster with a real chip on his shoulder. He's kind yeah. of like an enforcer or something, isn't he? For a you know for yeah. some sort of boss kind of uh, you know uh, what what would you call that guy? Like he's sort of like a kingpin or something of the kind of the. Underworld yeah. in London, and and uh, and he's a very funny character, isn't he? I don't I don't know what that guy's name is. The guy who plays the... Harry Harry Flowers. Yeah, he's just hilarious, isn't he? Just like he's, he everything he says, he talks like this, and he's yeah. sort of like, and he's making these little, you know, I guess what he perceives as these little pearls of wisdom about uh, you know life and and uh, his uh, business interests and. And uh, uh, you know his observations on people's character and things, and he's very, very funny, very brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, all there's loads of great sort of characters in it, really. Just yeah. there's this sort of rock star. He basically, Chaz takes the um, the room of this rock star. So sort of rock star is like a sort of small a musician who's going off. Just kind of like living as a recluse in this sort of apartment building, isn't he? I don't know. It's not clear, but does he actually own it? Or, and he's just kind of renting a room out? I've got a feeling he owns it. Yeah. I've got a feeling he's he's been big and now he's a reclusive rock star. And this is like the first sort of cinema, cinematic sort of expression of the reclusive rock star motif. Yeah. I mean, there isn't one before that. He, He basically invents it. <laughs> and uh, there's, but you know, since then there's been loads of films with reclusive rock stars. In, I guess, indeed, indeed. Um, there's and been it, actual this, reclusive rock stars. 
Some sometimes yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I went to see. Uh, kind of reminds weekend. me a bit of uh, sort of because around this period, wasn't it, when Miles Davis sort of what was in about seventy five, he just sort of went into retirement for about five six years, didn't he? Oh, okay. And apparently, he just lived in his apartment, and you know, people would come to him and stuff, but he just basically just stayed in his flat for five years and right. know, kind of been much like this Mick Jagger character in the film. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw, went to see Sing 2 with my children last weekend. Okay. And in that, Bono is sort of in the film. All right. And he plays a reclusive rock star. Oh, well, there you <laughs> basically, go. <laughs> they have to re re try and sort of tempt out of retirement or sort of re reclusiveness mm. and um yeah so i mean anyway that that's one of the many things that sort of it, yeah sort of interesting about it i guess well the, the yeah. film is almost in a way it's kind of there's two parts to it isn't there there's sort of the first part of the film is kind of like a gangster film isn't it it's yeah about this james fox character who's um you know, and he's like a proper nutter and he goes around yes. sort of, you know, beating people up and, yeah. and things you know, who owe them money or, you know, or or they just want to muscle in on their business or whatever. So they, he goes yeah. to intimidate them. And he's a yeah. right, proper, nasty character. He quite clearly yeah. relishes his uh, job. He yeah. enjoys sort of torturing people and being horrible and, and intimidating them. And he's very... He's a sadist. Yeah, and he's and he's uh, very uh, like uh, you can just see any minute he's got this menace and this kind of coiled spring that you know any second he's just gonna sort of you know you know uh, you yeah know, pull out a, a knife and cut your head off or something and uh, he just has that real menace to him and the first half yeah. of the film kind of deals with him and his kind of fall from grace if you will. Uh, yep. Because he's such a hothead that they, I mean, some of the other characters describe him as a as a mad dog, don't they? Who yeah. They, who they have to end up uh, putting down. So That's he it. so he basically he crosses a line with the boss, and then he has to kind of go into hiding. And at first, he's going to take off and uh, uh, go and you know he's trying to get out of town, and he's going to go and try and find somewhere to hide. But then yep. when he's sitting in a bus, is it a the bus terminal or an airport? Rail, railway station. Or railway station, okay. Waterloo or Victoria Waterloo. Station, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, but it's a very run-down, dilapidated-looking kind of environment as well. Well, but London, yeah. so run-down. Yeah. I mean, back then. Grimy the, and sort of, you know, everything just looks like it's caked with sort of soot and yeah, everything. And exactly. it's quite, the location like, it looks like brilliant. A, yeah, but he overhears while he's sitting in this train station. He overhears this uh, this chap talking to his mother about how he's left this flat because he didn't have the, the rent money. He was behind in his rent, and he basically bailed, and he's running off. And yep. and he basically overhears this conversation, and he goes, "Oh, I could go and I'm gonna go and stay there. That sounds like a perfect hiding spot." Yep. So he goes and he just basically finds this flat and shows up there and just says, "Oh, I'm a mate of that guy and." I'm here to take the room. And then we kind of go into this second half of the film, which is this, uh, this, you know, tough gangster. And he's very, he's quite clearly very uh, conservative and, and, yep. uh, you know, sort of straight laced in many ways, uh, you know, homophobic and, and, and really aggressive. And he thinks all these artists are just sort of, you know, 
you know what I mean. He just sort of, yeah. he just sneers at all this stuff and looks down yeah. at it as this, all this ridiculous uh, thing. But then he shows up in this flat and he uh, becomes, he kind of gets sucked into Mick Jagger's world. Doesn't yeah. he? Of, he and does. these two women who live with him. Yeah. Uh, so, um, it's quite interesting. There's a lot of, you know, it, it, so as, as the film progresses, it he, he's this tough, very masculine sort of alpha male kind of character. But yeah. as the film progresses, there's a lot of these lines that are crossed into sort of androgyny and yeah. sort of there's, there's scenes where they sort of, you know, have implied, you know, sort of homoeroticism between him and Mick Jagger. And there's yeah. these kind of all these moments where he, sort of his identity begins to merge with this rock star yeah. and this, this free, more free spirited sort of lifestyle and things. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this, this film has, well, a lot, so you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. They sort of threw everything at it. That's right. Uh, the, 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 there is even has... a kitchen sink, isn't there? At one point, where the guy, when they've gone and trashed some guy's betting thing, and he pulls, brings out a sink. Yeah. <laughs> so there is yeah. quite literally everything and a kitchen sink in this. Yeah, room. everything and the kitchen sink exactly. <laughs> uh, and then there's the kitchen in the, um, this uh, house in Notting Hill, which is uh, a great kitchen mm. um, as well. Sort of. The, I mean, the, the, one of the sort of the uh, enjoyable bits about the film is the interior decoration of um, Mick Jagger's house, mm. which is done by this chap, Christopher Gibbs, who was a, I think he was a genuine sort of interior uh, designer for the stars in the in the 60s, I think. And he designed um, Brian Jones's flat, apparently. Mm. And anyway, they got him designing the look of this uh, place. But that itself had been dreamt up by Donald Cannell. One of the, yeah, I guess one of the things about the film, it's got two directors. It's got mm. uh, Nick Rogue and Donald Cannell. So you've got sort of twice as many ideas, I guess, basically. Yeah. Well, what was it, Dave? He was the writer, wasn't he? And he was kind of the co-director and Nicholas yeah. Rogue was, uh, well, well, he was like, an, was he an editor, editor. or he was editor. a cinematographer? And he, cinematographer, this was kind yeah. of his yeah. first foray into, into making a film. Yeah. And uh, so he brought all of that sort of experience. And, you know, like you say, there's this kaleidoscope of different kind of images and experimental kind of editing and, and sort of, you know, bits at times when the, the exposures and the lenses and everything are all kind of chopping and changing and the cuts are quite jumpy to, to from these to juxtapose these different images and things. And it's quite... Um, you know, it, it kind of keeps coming at you all the time, doesn't it, with all this? Very sort much of, does. Yeah. Yeah. And and the sort of, yeah, I guess the sound design is sort of experimental as well. You've got mm. sort of panning and yeah. all sorts of uh, it, things that, um, yeah, are interesting and strange and sort of odd sound effects in there and random bits of other films sort of and uh, everything, everything in it, in it. And um, yeah, well, one of the one of the uh, interesting things is that this is where the the name of my internet handle came from, yes. Static Gaucho, <laughs> because there's one one of the themes in it is this uh, he, Mick Jagger's character keeps on 
well, reads from uh, this book or a short story called El Sur, the South, by Jorge Luis Borges, the Argentinian writer. And in it, he talks about the old ecstatic gaucho. And um, <clears throat> earlier on in the book, one of the gangsters is seen sitting in the back of the car reading this sort of collected sort of uh, um, stories of Borges, which and then later on, um, the rock stars reading it too. And uh, in that story, it's funny enough, it's about a man who sort of gets knocked on the head and has a sort of strange and goes into hospital and has a strange dream. Mm. It's all about dreams and fate and sort of beating your, uh, you know, your end and all these sort of things as well. Sort of similar themes that the, the film has. And then right at the end, you see a photograph of Borges without giving too much away mm. and uh so yeah that's another theme anyway the ecstatic gaucho um it, it sort of leapt out at me when i heard that I thought oh yeah i'm gonna use that and mm. uh, so now i've had that as my sort of now it's my twitter handle but it, it's my website and all this sort of stuff it's been around for mm. oh, 20 odd years yeah, and listeners should uh, seek out jonathan's blog and things like that uh, is it still i mean you you well doing it's not it for i think years. i need to get it get it up again actually has it been a bit inactive for, for been, a couple of years inactive yeah, yeah. um i i put my uh, portfolio on there but um i think basically it's been hacked so oh, right. i do own it still but i've got to got to um get it sort of going again oh, okay well yeah but yeah, it's uh, it's yeah the music's great because it's got sort of make, well Rolling Stones in it, but it also has some music. Uh, old um, what's his name? Uh, the Raikuda Raikuda plays Raikuda, on it too. Yeah. yeah, there's a few people I noticed on the credits that there there's Jack a bit Nitchie. of a tambourine of yeah. of different. Uh, apparently, originally it was meant to be the Rolling Stones who were going to do the soundtrack for the film, right. but I, I guess uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards at the time were uh, they they weren't getting on, or they were sort of fighting oh, okay. over. Uh, I think one of the women who's in the film was Keith Richards' girlfriend at the time. Yeah. So there was a bit, he felt a bit um, threatened by the fact that Mick Jagger was making this film with her or something. And uh, so the, the relations were strained at the time. So it didn't work out for the Rolling Stones to do right. the music for the film. But there is one number where Mick Jagger sings, isn't yeah. there? Uh, what's it yeah. called? The A memo for Turner. Memo for Turner. And it's a cool little bit. I mean, I've always, yeah. whenever I've seen the film, I've always felt, I don't know. I, I mean, I suppose if you, at the time, if you're going to have Mick Jagger in a film, you, you want to get him to sing, don't you? Because he had to sing. That was to. kind of like, you know, I would imagine that Warner Brothers was thinking they were going to get like a Rolling Stones movie and that there was going to be sort of yeah. singing and dancing about and stuff in it. And I, I think they were a little bit taken aback uh, by what they actually got <laughs> when, when they saw the film. They were kind of like, oh, my God, what is this? This isn't, you know, yeah, this I think isn't the, what I was expecting. <laughs> yes, there was they were they were very upset or dismayed, I mm. think, uh, by the 
finished product. One thing I would say that if you're interested in the film, there's this great little book here. Oh, okay. It's called Performance, published by Bloomsbury and written by uh, Mick Brown. Okay. It's a sort of A to Z. It's part of a um, series of, it came out like 24 years ago, I guess it was, came out published. Um, and there, there's six six different books on different sort of classic films, Blue mm-hmm. Velvet, uh, Jaws, and, anyway, and performance. And it's a sort of A to Z of the film, and it gives you all the information you could possibly need <laughs> on the film. <laughs> and it's beautifully written as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, really, I was reading a bit of it uh, just now before we started chatting, and it's great. It's got some oh, brilliant. Great, uh, I might look it out because it's such a fascinating film, and like you say, there's so much in there. Like you, every time you watch it, you can pick up. It's yeah. one of those films that you can watch it at a different time and then have a completely different experience and pick up on completely different things, and 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 that's just part of the part of the amazing things about it is is yeah. just like this sort of. Um, you kind of bring yourself to it a little bit each time you watch it. And I could Definitely. swear even because I, I watched it last night yeah. uh, on, on, I have the Warner brothers Blu-ray uh, very, and that's what I watched. Disc- but the last time I watched this was probably wasn't that long ago. It was maybe two, three years ago okay. back when they, they, um, they had a streaming service called Filmstruck, okay. uh, which was kind of part of kind of time Warner and uh, yep. it only lasted for about a year, but it was sort of, um, it was a really good streaming service. It was a shame that it kind of went under because they had a lot, like a lot of really great stuff on there. Right. Uh, and I remember watching performance and I could swear because it wasn't that long ago since I've watched it yep. last that this version of the film that's on this disc yeah, w- wasn't the same as the one I saw a couple of years really? ago. Now that could just be because you know I'm getting older. Maybe my memory yeah. is not serving me correctly. But I could swear there was bits in this that yeah. I I don't remember being in the in it the last time I watched it, right. or I just don't remember them, or it just felt a little bit like it was a different, slightly different sort of cut of the film. Yeah, and well, I was the... when I was reading this morning the Wikipedia page just to sort of prime my head oh, yeah. for talking about the film. It does say that when it came out, Warner Brothers was quite reluctant to release it. They it it, it took a couple of years before it finally came out, and in America, yeah. they dubbed over the voices and changed it. And this isn't the first time we've talked about this happening i think we talked about the long good friday they did something similar that when they released it in america they decided that the cockney accents and stuff that people might struggle with it so they re-recorded some of the voices and they made other changes and edits and what was interesting is that they said that that at a certain point there were multiple different versions of the film that were in circulation so kind of depending on when you saw it and where you saw it it would be a sort of a different version of the film. And, uh, and it was quite like, cause I, even I remember I'm old enough to remember uh, that this film was, it, it wasn't the kind of thing they showed on TV and things in it, but Definitely it was not. very much one of those kind of midnight films that yep. they used to show in sort of repertory cinemas and late at night at sort of midnight screenings and things. So yep. you had to sort of go out to see it. It wasn't something that you could readily sort of see at home. Um, 
but it, it is quite interesting to read about because that, that's kind of the minutiae that, that, that sort of film collectors mm. and fans kind of like to get into is the different alternate cuts and different right. versions of films. So it's quite interesting to, uh, to read about that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how definitive the version on, on here is, but it, yeah. it's a good Blu-ray. It's a very beautiful transfer yeah. and it's, um, yeah. it doesn't have a lot of sort of supplementary stuff on it. No. There's some sort of little featurettes and things. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I do, I do, I'm convinced that what, what I watched last night wasn't the same okay. as what I've seen previously. Yeah. Well, there was some bits that I, one bit that I, when I, I watched it again on Friday night, two nights ago, and um, there's uh, I, there's this short scene where there's a in one of the rooms in this house in London, there's an enormous pile of logs. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's um, the Mick Jagger's character has a sort of open fire, so we can mm -hmm. have a you know, log fire, and. But yeah, there's this just massive pile of logs in this sort of empty room, just. Just very weird. I guess it sort of makes sense in a way, but it just was quite strange as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's got and another thing actually that uh, I, sh I wanted to mention is the dialogue. It's got some absolutely brilliant lines. Mm -hmm. So when um, the gangster turns up in this house, he goes, I need a bohemian atmosphere, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. a sort of uh, uh, immortal line, I think. Hmm. Um, and um, so lots of these lines there's a there's a great um, song you know e, e equals mc squared by a big audio dynamite um, which was uh, mick jones of the clash's band after the end of the clash and it's basically all about nick rogue's films <laughs> and um, so but it also as the sort of lyrics talk about nick rogue films hmm. um, but it also has so, sort of samples from so, some of the films and it has i think uh, I, I i need a bohemian atmosphere in the in the background and um yeah i mean some of the film that's one of the funny thing i guess it's sort of is it sort of bad because it or is it just intentionally like, like i guess it's intentionally sort of like that because i've always um, taken it that way i mean there I think are so. all, there are always um you know like i mean i love a good bad film like a so bad yeah. or good kind of film i'm quite sure at, at, at some point we'll probably do a show about those yes. kind of things but i don't think that this film is i i think there's a lot of like the humor and stuff is intentional a lot of the dialogue and stuff yeah you know is is very much um uh, some of the acting seems ropey but actually, I'm sure yeah. it's sort of it's intentional. I mean, even the cast, the casting of um, James Fox as a gangster yeah. is a very not working class actor. He, he, the interesting thing about James Fox, you know, he's 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 very much cast against type there in yeah. this film, and um, I think that this is sort of slightly what uh, Nick Rogue liked doing. He liked getting doing weird. He made weird casting decisions. Yeah. And uh, especially getting actors in lots of uh, some musicians in lots of his films. Yeah, but he's brilliant though, isn't he? Like he's like he is, he is like a proper psycho gang, like you know, and he's brilliant in the film. Yeah, like just absolutely mesmerizing, and 
You yeah. just like I say, he's just like this tightly like you just like he's he's very menacing and intimidating and but very funny too. He like you say he's got like lots of really great lines and bits of dialogue. Yeah. And uh you know, he's he's absolutely brilliant. Um he, he's he's uh very funny. Another another thing that struck me watching it that Mick made me think of Russell Brand somehow. Yeah, Russell Brand, the uh, comedian and the sort of yeah. podcast guy. And uh, I sort of wondered, yeah, but I guess, I guess quite a bit of Russell Brand's sort of image is sort of slightly cribbed off uh, uh, Mick at his sort of in his 60s pomp. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could probably slot um, his, his current persona. You could probably slot him right into this film and he'd probably fit right in. Absolutely. <laughs> They're going to make a remake of it. <laughs> Oh, please don't have anyone who's out there who's, who's going, hey, what a great idea. That's not a great idea. Yeah, um, yeah another great line. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I guess this is one of the things I was thinking. Some of it, um, like, yeah, I like I like the line. Uh, he says, I like a bit of a cavort, which sort of was <laughs> silly but funny. I mean, yeah. it's funny, and it's intentionally funny. And then I guess the other bit that at the time probably made was you know the hippies were going oh yeah that's great uh, the performance that achieves madness is is the truly great performance mm. and now seems maybe a little bit dated and sort of silly um mm. just because i don't i don't know it's just quite a sort of 60s thing really but yeah yeah how do you feel i mean obviously we don't want to I, I don't know if it'd be possible to spoil the ending for someone who's never seen this before but do you? How would you interpret that ending in terms of the? Um, do you know what I'm saying? Without obviously, without trying to give the game away for someone who possibly hasn't seen the film before, but do you think that's an effective ending? And do, do, did you think yeah. that 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 as a payoff? How 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 do you think? I, th- I thought that? it was it was all right, yeah, because because you've got this sort of strange thing about their identities merging, hmm. and at the end you're not really sure who's what and who's going where and what's happening really. Yeah, and it's sort of left open, and I like that that quality, that sort of open quality of the film, and um, I, I think that works well, and. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't mind the ending. I think it's. Mm. I think it's good. Yeah. No, I what, agree. What, I mean, I I love it. I love this film. Uh, but I was just curious to see what you'd say. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I'm not <laughs> not, a, not a not a problem with that. Uh, because uh, I think, like I said, I think this film you could every time you watch it, you can sort of interpret it or pick pick different things up in it and stuff. And I think it's yes. terrific. Yeah, mm-hmm. and one of the things I guess I think I mentioned earlier that I really like is all these London locations, mm-hmm. um, because especially at the beginning, it's sort of a, a lot of it's filmed outside. Which train station is that he goes into? Wandsworth. Uh, yeah, Wandsworth. And Wandsworth it, it station. literally looks like it's just like this abandoned <laughs> sort of you know yeah. wasteland that like this industrial sort of wasteland kind of war zone that he's walking into. <laughs> But yeah. there's a big sign that says Wandsworth Station on it. And it's yeah. just like, is that what that used to look like? It's like, oh, my God. It looks like they yeah, well, need uh, to sandblast it and sort of give it a good hose. Well, a lot of London was, you know, it's 
I mean, I guess I think the Clean Air Act came in in 1958 or something like that. Mm. So until then, you know, it was the pea supers and everything was black with this sort of smoke from coal fires. Yeah, and then this was only about 10 years later they filmed it. So, they, I mean, I think they started cleaning up London in the sort of 80s when they started sandblasting everything. Mm. And I sort of vaguely remember, yeah, sort of seeing these buildings which were dark and suddenly they were all light and they look better like, yeah, yeah. and uh, so you can see the pre-sandblasted London which is really interesting and, and Notting Hill which the is the fun of watching old films though isn't it is to see yeah. because the films that were shot on location I and mean, I think we've talked about this before in, in other episodes and specifically when we talked about Long Good Friday we talked a bit about this but the fact that these films are also in terms of just the, the fact that they documented Mm. on film these yeah. these things that these worlds that aren't there anymore you know exactly. these streets and these cities yeah. and these landscapes and things that maybe have changed completely in the decade since but yeah. they've so these films serve as a as a record of, yeah. of that of the of the those times even though Definitely. it's a fictional film there there is some reality there as well isn't there it's very in much the background. And uh, Notting Hill, where the sort of a lot of it's set, is completely different to Notting Hill now. <laughs> it's, it's sort of you know, there's no grass on the square in the middle of this sort of, uh, uh, yeah, in the middle. Well, where, where now I'm sure there's a lovely garden and a playground and stuff like this, and there's sort mm -hmm. of rubbish everywhere, and everybody's got holes in their clothes and. It's uh, it's a very different uh, world, <laughs> and <Indeed>. utterly <laughs> fascinating for it. Yeah, none of the houses have been painted for sort of since the thirties. It looks like, and yeah. yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah, it is. It's really something. Really something. Yeah. And yeah, and I guess in this film, I would the one thing I would say the similarities of the, the um, old uh, Chaz. It goes into this sort of dream a little bit like um, the character in uh, Ugetsu. Yeah. Uh, but this dream, in Ugetsu, the dream is a bad dream. Yeah. And in this dream, this is a sort of, this dream, I guess being a hi hippie film, the dreams have a, a positive sort of thing to tell us. Mm. And here it's sort of working its sort of dreamy magic on him and uh, improving him in the end. Mm. in some ways uh and the house is a sort of this you know this chamber of the dreamings um and yeah um and i guess you've got the yeah the lady uh, wakasa there's two lady wakasas maybe or three lady wakasas mm. you include uh mick um yeah, yeah. But it is funny that it does have these similarities <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. It uh, it is. Yeah, like that bit in you get. So we didn't really talk about that. Like there's that one bit when he goes when he's at the shop, buying, I don't know, just various sort of cloth and various things to take back to the house. And he goes into this sort of dream of his wife being there with him and picking the picking the, out, you know, things to make a kimono out of and stuff like that. And then it's just mm. this little where he goes into this little dream where he remembers his, you know, his, 
his past and his the life yeah. that he once had and just trying to make her happy and the, the things that he lost sight of it's really beautiful but you're right here they have much more of a you know uh james fox is letting him letting himself go into this work is where at first where he's very resistant yeah. to the, this sort of hippie sort of bohemian sort of vibe but the, 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 when, once he's had the mushrooms and he goes into this thing he kind of succumbs to it doesn't he he sort does. of embraces it in a sense yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. uh it's wonderful those bit when the, the old the, his old gang guys catch up with him and they see him and he's got the wig on and the lipstick and the you yeah know, and that's a really brilliant moment and he always, yeah. and he doesn't seem to care which is really funny like he's not embarrassed or anything about it yeah. he's kind of he's like yeah you know whatever <laughs> so it is it's brilliant brilliant yeah film. Yeah, it is really, really good. Um, a so lot. Can lot you, um, uh, what would you have to say about, yeah. uh, because just this week, when we're recording, yeah. it was just this week that uh, Mick Jagger celebrated his 80th birthday. Was it? It's My extraordinary. Goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, still working too, isn't he? Do they still go out touring and stuff? Is he still like sort of. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Active? I think that's, so, yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. But, yeah. um, what would you say? I mean, he th this was his first film, and he did do the a few other films, didn't he? Yep. Did that sort of Ned Kelly, yeah, and uh, you know, one or two other things. Apparently, he was originally supposed to be in Fitzcarraldo, wasn't he? Werner Herzog, Fitzcarraldo. It's always that scene of, of Herzog has pulled it out several times um, in that documentary made about Klaus Kinski oh, yeah. and a couple other things. He uses that. Scene fiend. With, with yeah my best fiend which is a brilliant best film fiend, the but um there's a, a a bit of footage that he shows because originally it was jason robards and mick jagger who were going to be starring in fitzgeraldo right. and then uh, because the project production ran into some problems the the they ended up mick jagger left because he had to go on tour or something okay. he had other commitments with the with the rolling stones yeah um but anyway, he's he's not done a huge number of films, has he? No. He's kind of no. like a, he's he he kind of I would say he's a bit like David Bowie in that he kind of he dabbled in acting a little bit. He yep. sort of did the odd film here and there, but he yep. didn't really have a like a, a really no big like we were talking about Chris Christopherson a few episodes ago about yep. Heaven's Gate, but he was someone who was a, initially a pop singer, like a country country yeah. and western uh, sort of star and then he got into film acting and he had yeah. uh, up until heaven's gate he had quite a substantial career and made a lot of yeah. films and was you know um you know really got into the acting as a career whereas yeah. mick jagger he only just did a few films in your opinion yeah what do you think of mick jagger as an actor in this film it's perfect mm. You know, I think that's the thing about um, Nick Rogue. He liked using sort of musicians in his films. So mm. later on, The Man Who Fell to Earth has David Bowie. Mm. And then there's Bad Timing, which has Art Garfunkel mm. as well. And all, all, all three films are fine. I mean, using you know, actor, musicians and actors, they're not the same. And perhaps they should, you know, musicians shouldn't be in these films people criticize it at least but it, mm -hmm. they're in these films 
he's got them he's got the perfect person for, the, for that role and it doesn't matter at all and Mick Jagger mm. is not really I guess he's playing Mick Jagger in a way mm. but that's fine because that's what you need that's what the film needs he definitely and works really definitely well works. in this doesn't he I mean he fits right in he's, he's absolutely kind of perfect yeah and uh yeah, I just was curious because, like I say, I've only—I mean, I—I'm not aware of, aside from Ned Kelly and yeah, I he I did some sort of weird science fiction film in the '80s and well as well, which was really bad. But I can't remember oh, okay. what it was called. I think probably yeah. everyone's just tried to forget him, forget about it. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but like he didn't really have a substantial film career no. did he, in the end. No. Um, I don't know if that was by choice or, or, or what, or he just, you know, I guess Rolling Stones probably took a lot of his energy and his time. And, I think, yeah, yeah, I think so. And it was, a, there's this, um, uh, Bob Dylan film, which I think mm. Bob Dylan wrote with, which has Rupert Everett in it. It was made in the eighties and it's sort of awful in a way, but mm. it's also perfect. And it's sort of, yeah, yeah. It, because it's not really a, it's sort of, I don't know, it works perfectly. So, mm -hmm. and, and I would say the same thing here with um, uh, Mick Jagger. It's, he's, he's, he's fine in it. Yeah, no, I agree. He works really well in this. Um, okay. Is there anything else you wanted to say about it? Because we've been uh, moving on. No, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I bought that same uh, Blu-ray as you, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's got one sort of twenty or twenty-five minute documentary on it. Mm. Pretty much, that's the only extra. Well, it does have a couple of other sort of smaller, less significant yeah. things. It's got a cool uh, performance. Is one of the coolest trailers. I remember that. Like I remember seeing that at like they used to show it sometimes in some of the repertory theaters yeah. in Toronto and stuff they used to sometimes get the trailer for performance and show it before the main feature and stuff and I used to always think it was a really cool trailer even before I'd seen the film right yeah the trailer it was just really cool though those sort of you know the bullet going into the head yeah yeah and the, <laughs> you know all those kind of you know it's quite a really sort of it makes you kind of go man this thing this looks trippy I want to see this what is it yeah definitely what's this all about it is. The, the Bob Dylan film is called Hearts of Fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember yeah. it. I remember it, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I thought Bob Dylan wrote it. He didn't. Yeah, I'm not so. sure that one shows up on the sight and sound list, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of dreadful, but I really enjoyed it when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I could probably look up the, the name of the... Um, I don't know, it would probably be, it wouldn't make for great podcast listening for me to be looking around on the internet to work out what the name of that Mick Jagger film was that he was in the 80s, oh, yeah. science fiction film. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, it was really yeah. dreadful, I remember. Um, although, I don't know, maybe it's ripe for a reappraisal, perhaps. It's called Free Jack. Free Jack, that's 1992. it. 1992. 1992, oh, right. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't even in eighties, it was later. Yeah. 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 Well the less said about that the better. We'll just <laughs> <laughs>
But anyway, I don't know. Well, we shouldn't, because, you know, for every, uh, there's fan, there'll be a fan out there. There'll be someone out there who loves Free Jack and thinks it's brilliant. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and by all means, reach out to us, send us an email or come talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. If there's a Free Jack fan out there, absolutely. by all means, come and, come and talk to us, because we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Because maybe it's time. I haven't seen it, obviously, since it was new. That was many years ago. What did you say? 92. So that's 30 years ago. Perhaps you've got to do Free Jack versus Hearts of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's put that on the, uh, let's put that on the docket, Jonathan, because I think it might, you might be onto something. If we can even get hold of them. I mean, who knows? Well, that's true. Very good yeah, point. Because, you know, it's not easy to get hold of things nowadays and especially. It's not. You know, Bob Dylan films. Because Pat, what the Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid? Can you even watch that? I've uh, got the soundtrack, but I, I don't think I've ever had a chance to watch it. Is it available somehow? No idea. No idea. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I've never seen it. I'd, I'd be curious. To I, see I have it. seen it. Have you? Um, and is yeah. it good? Is it all right? It's good. Yeah. It's Sam Peckinpah film. Yeah. Yeah, but I've never had a chance so, to see yeah, it. Anyway. He's, he's, he's a, yeah, hmm. he made good. Films generally, as a rule. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, I think yeah, we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent. We have, but <laughs> that's okay because we're talking about films, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, folks, uh, definitely, um, if you get a chance, check out performance. Uh, but definitely, folks, if you've never seen it, go and check it out um, um, because it's uh, it's brilliant. And yep. uh, the same goes for you, Getsu. If you uh, you should go and seek that out, it's probably slightly harder to get hold of, I, I think. But it, uh, like I said, as of right now, it's um, it's available on freebie. If if you uh, if you have Amazon Prime, it's on there and it's it's free. But yep. you you are going to get sort of dog food commercials interrupting it every sort of half an hour or something, which is very annoying. Yeah, uh, and deeply offensive, but um, there you are. <laughs> I think it's on Apple TV. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Three okay. Is five. that like a for as a rental? Uh... Rental, rental. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. That, so, go, folks. If you don't want to buy a Blu-ray, then that would be your next best option is to uh, try and see it without ad breaks and things, because yeah. it's definitely a film that uh, is not well served by being interrupted too much. So, um, okay. Well, on that, uh, on that note, uh, folks, we, uh, are going to say goodbye. Thank you very much for, uh, listening and we hope you enjoyed the conversation and, uh, we hope yes. you'll go and check out these great films. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we do have some really great guests lined up. Yes. So in the meantime, don't forget to go and check out our YouTube page and, uh, watch out for our fabulous, funky, fantastic film swap factoids and uh, if i could have thought of any more f words i would have that's a lot of f's there yes very good um but anyway but by all means go and check it out uh jonathan will be on screen there telling you some uh, interesting little facts about some of the films that we talk about here on the show and sometimes yeah. maybe about other films too who knows the yeah who knows but whatever it is it'll be Funky, factual, and filmy. <laughs> <laughs>
at least those three Fs. Yes. Maybe more. At the end, more besides, yes. So so anyway, look out for them and uh, look out for other uh, surprises and surprises coming your way soon. Um, I know I keep saying that, but I really do mean it. There are uh, some plans uh, in the works that will be coming over the next couple of months. Uh, so by all means, now's the time to follow or subscribe, depending on how you uh, you find us, uh, because uh, there are some cool things coming your way from the Film Swap team. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, on that note, folks, uh, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. So take care until then, and watch lots of cool films. Cool. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that's the thing these nerdy middle-aged men get up to. Oh. <laughs>